Hello and welcome to Levy University Cybercast. I'm Dane. I'm Dan. And I'm Alex. And today we're joined by a special guest, Ben. Hello. Clear your memory caches because we're initiating our speech protocol to bring you a cast about Netrunner, the card game of the future since 1996. Uh, Netrunner, what a, what a fantastic game. What an absolutely incredible game. Truly, truly the best game that's ever been made definitely the best game ffg's ever made the national sport of croatia <laughs> there, there there might be a little bit of controversy is that actually true <laughs> I, I wouldn't be shocked i don't know uh, but anyway we we're very excited to talk uh, about about netrunner today uh, a, a game that we love so much it occurred to us that uh maybe we should go over the very basics of the game just in case some of our listeners are not totally familiar with it right just like our guest ben yeah, exactly. And and our guest Ben. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea what's going on. I'm, you know, a, f- a fan of another game, but I'm I'm happy and excited uh to learn about it and lucky even <laughs> to learn about it from such passionate friends like you guys. So Ben, didn't didn't you tell me that you had a a, a real jerk friend once who was always trying to make you play Netrunner and did so on several <laughs> occasions? Yeah. I did I did have a friend. I, w- I was I guess my my mind wasn't open to the the possibilities of that time, but that that's all changed. Yeah. See, what you have to what what you have to do is plug an Ethernet cable into the socket in the back of your head <laughs> and download some Netrunner uh, love into there. That's 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 how it usually works. Oh, all right. So Netrunner uh, is a is a card game. It's a competitive card game. Uh, the first iteration of it, which Alex knows very well, uh, was in it was released in 1996 as a collectible card game, right? By everybody's favorite company, Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> Yeah, they were uh, they were they were throwing out a lot of CCGs at the time. Obviously, one of them became significantly more popular than the others. Uh, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I was <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh gonna... was definitely not made by Wizards of the Coast, by the way. Oh, what was it? Not? I was going to make a joke and reference like the the vampire one or the what was it like BattleTech or something. Uh, but, yeah. You mean Jihad? The, yeah, yeah. We, we later renamed a vampire the Eternal Struggle <laughs> because they realized it was culturally insensitive to name yeah. the whole game Jihad. Yep. I, I was I was going to reference one of those, but I couldn't even remember what they were called. So that, Listen, that, that didn't really work. As someone who played a decent amount of Vampire the Eternal Struggle when I was younger, too, that game was pretty good. So You got to vote a lot in it. <laughs> that sounds pretty good to me. So what, what Netrunner had going for it that was relatively unique among card games, and I think still basically is, is that it's asymmetric. So there's two players. One of them is playing as the corp, and the other one is playing as the runner, which is like a hacker. So this is like a cyberpunk-themed game. And the runner is basically trying to hack into the corp systems and steal stuff. The corp is trying to do evil corporation things. And so there's different cards for each of these two sides. If you go to a tournament, you bring two decks, one for corp and one for runner. And there's sort of two different play styles. There's stuff in common, but uh, the difference between them is really what makes the game uh, really special and interesting, or at least one of the things. Yeah, I think the primary thing, that you have to actually play against somebody who's essentially playing a slightly different game than you. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's also the other thing that makes it different from something like magic is uh, there's a lot of hidden information. So um, especially on the corpse side, the way it works is you have these special cards called agendas, which are kind of like victory points. And you're trying to score these agendas, or maybe you're trying to just kill the runner. But uh, a lot of times you're trying to score these agendas, which can involve bluffing. You put them in one of your servers, you start investing time and money into them. But the runner doesn't know if that's actually an agenda or if it's just a trap. You could totally be bluffing. It's like Yu-Gi-Oh, right? Trap cards? Uh, yes, it's exactly like Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> right, uh, but, but, Yu-Gi- but Yu-Gi-Oh came out afterwards. Uh, mm. at least i'm I'm pretty i'm pretty sure about that yeah almost at least five years after yeah well, mm. okay that's that's good i got worried there for a minute um <laughs> and and meanwhile the runner is actually like hacking into the corpse hand hacking into the corpse deck is trying to like steal these agendas before the corp can even get them and both sides have all kinds of ways to disrupt the other one and try to get them off their game and prevent them from what they're doing uh so there's a lot of like bluffing there's a lot of uh just keeping track of stuff it it can be really exciting. Yeah, it, it at its heart is 
a resource management hidden information game where the goal is to get to seven points, seven of these agenda points. Also, it was uh, featured in an episode of the Showtime television series Billions. So if you ever want to know what a Netrunner tournament looks like, just watch that episode. <laughs> and it looks exactly the same as reality. If you ever want to see a Netrunner tournament played entirely by extremely attractive people with incredible lighting where they're like drinking wine and stuff, uh, which is exactly all those things are true of real Netrunner yes. tournaments, too. You can, you can be a part of it, too. <laughs> You can be a beautiful person holding wine. You should watch wine. that one episode of the show Billions. Uh, <laughs> yeah, def- definitely track that down. But anyway, yeah, so so we 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 all love Netrunner very much. So so we mentioned it started as this 90s CCG. The version of it that we mostly played, or at least Dan and I, I think Alex played the original version. Um, so in 2012, uh, Fantasy Flight relaunched the game as part of their Android fictional universe, which was started in the Android board game, and they called it Android Netrunner. So they took basically the mechanics from the original game, but they added the sort of factions and world building and flavor from their other Android games. Uh, And they released it as an LCG kind of like Arkham. Uh, The difference, if you're familiar with Arkham, is that you would buy the, the, you know, uh, data packs instead of mythos packs, and they would only have what we would think of as player cards in them. There's no scenarios. It's all just cards that you can put in your deck no scenario cards yeah no no ancient evils no uh but there's still story text right there's still story text (laughs) in the form of flavor text and unlike unlike a game like arkham you have to use your complete imagination to tell the story of the game (laughs) i mean i'm okay with that sometimes you know i mean each of the data packs would have a little like short story or some kind of i just need a little bit i need a little bit of flavor to set the scene of each each adventure you know how i'm gonna infiltrate this corporation using my cyber brain you need a little taste of the cyber food, you know? Well, Ben, you also have to remember, at least half the time you're probably going to play as an evil corporation. Has to keep the bends exactly. of the world out. No, I can do that, too. I, well, that's not as exciting because I play that. I, I do that in real life. So that's a little less interesting. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, the same. <laughs> at least I have practice with it. <laughs> yeah, since since I stopped playing Netrunner, I've basically gotten the job at NBN. So that's uh, <laughs> that changes the perspective a little bit. But uh Anyway, uh, so yeah, so we, this is actually how uh, Dane and Alex and I met was showing up to the like Netrunner night at a small game store in Massachusetts when we were all living in the same area. And uh, we played a lot of Netrunner and it was, uh, we had a pretty good time, I gotta say, for several years. Shout out to X9 in the Hampshire Mall and Seth. Yeah, oh, yeah. exactly. Uh, also, also shout out to, uh, to, to, to Dana or, or the, the other Dan who's been on, on, on the Arkham podcast, who was another, uh, another friend from, from those times. And to our friends, uh, Merrick and Leah, who really are the reason that we all had a Netrunner night, but stopped playing the game a long <laughs> time ago. That is also yeah. true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they organized that. That was great. But yeah, and it, 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 we, we, we had a great time. We went to some tournaments, uh, you know, with mixed, mixed results, but we always had a good time, yeah. right? And we even, we went to Magnum Opus, which was the final, I mean, so FFG had a whole organized play thing for this. They would run tournaments, or at least they would provide kits so that game stores could play, could set up tournaments. We we even ran some tournaments ourselves. We did. Yeah, Yeah, we did. And we, and we went to the final Worlds tournament at the FFG Center in, in Roseville. Um, Dane actually did very well. Dane made it about as close as you can come to the kind of final bubble, I think, right? Yeah, I, I did what you call bubble. I got 17th out of... This, the 16, like, margin that is, like, where you get to play Mormon Netrunner, basically. So I, like, came so, so, so close. That's still impressive as hell, though. I mean, because they're... The thing that people... If, if you haven't played competitive card games before, or even if you played, like, Magic and you just kind of assume everything else is very, like, casual, I mean, there's people that were, like, very deep into this oh, yeah. game. And the high-level... Just watching high-level players play Netrunner could be very, very exciting and very cool to It was watch. also very impressive, given Dan and Mai's results in the tournament, so don't look those up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, uh, you know, look, I I played a lot of, uh, was it As- Asmari? I, I played way too much Asmari. My, my runner deck had no chance against it. There was nothing I could do. Uh, <laughs> you at least got a medal for that play- 17th place, right, Dane? Like an aluminum <laughs> medal or something? Is that... I got a full art misprinted criminal <laughs> card and i was very proud of it you also got a really great playmat signed by like everybody there that, that was is true cool too yeah that is true it, it is at the end of the day it was about the friends i made along the way that is to say <laughs> the netrunner community is awesome everybody there yeah now even is fantastic uh, i also want to give just a really small shout out to um i think when dan and i were kind of like first setting up this podcast uh, I, at least for me, like the main kind of inspiration that I was 
kind of trying to, to, to get to was um, there were a couple of really good Netrunner podcasts, especially the winning agenda and run last click, uh, which I listened to a ton of back when we were playing. And I mean, I, I think like at least my goal for the show has always been like, if we could be anywhere near as good as those podcasts, then we would be doing really, really Also, great. at Magnum Opus, we uh, spent a lot of time bothering uh, Hollis, who was a, a, a Netrunner broadcaster. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Shout and, out to and Hollis. Podcaster, and he, oh, yeah. and he, encouraged, awesome. he encouraged this podcast's existence. That's true. Yeah, I, I, we, we absolutely should mention that, too. He's, he's a great guy. I forced him to sign three of my playmats. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he happily did it. He with sure did. Face. So other things we should briefly mention about Netrunner, uh, there is a fan-made website called Jinteki.net where you can play Netrunner with other people, which is great because obviously pandemic, no one can play in person. So that's really cool. Uh, unfortunately, the, the kind of sad ending to this story, at least for the moment, was uh, shortly after that last Worlds tournament that we went to in Roseville, FFG retired Netrunner due to complicated issues involving licensing the rights from some other company. Wizards of the Coast uh, is a good, nice company. <laughs> hey, Neon Dynasty, it's all it's all coming back around. We just uh, it's 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 going to be great. It's all going to be worth audible it. vomiting sounds. <laughs> so so Netrunner at the FFG incarnation of it ended in uh, in 2018. That was that was the last release. That was the last official tournaments. But because the game had such a great fan base. There's a, a kind of a committee of fans formed uh, called Nisei, which took on the responsibility of running tournaments and things and also uh, actually releasing new cards. So they they have a whole you know design team where they, they design new cards and they balance things. Uh, and they've, they've kept the game going in the years since FFG shut it down, which is really fantastic because it's a, it's a volunteer effort. Um, it's really amazing that they're, that they're doing this. Yeah. The best part about making a card game that is like centered around, uh, like cyberpunk, uh, stuff and very much like a math based sort of like economy driven sort of game is that the people that you get are like logical people who love making software and these people are also very artistic and like, so you get this f- fan base that just can carry on all of these, all of these, uh, these traits from the original game and make, continue to make a very high quality game, continue JNet running and proliferate the existence of, of this game. Yeah. Continue, continue having competitive play if you're interested in that. And part of why we brought Ben on the podcast today is because they're releasing two new sets uh, at the end of this month. And they're actually designed specifically to help new players get into playing Netrunner. Yeah, which is which is really, really cool because, uh, I mean, Netrunner, I think, has always had this reputation as being a game that is difficult to get into. Um, part of that is just, I mean, the LCG format, I think eventually there were so many cards it was expensive to get into. But even apart from that, it is a very complicated game. It's 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 complicated in a different way that, you know, like Magic is, but it is still, there's a, a, a steep learning curve. And I know we we always kind of felt, I mean, you know, FFG did great work releasing the game, but um, I think we always felt like they they could have done a lot more to kind of provide easier routes for new players to get involved. And I, 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 I wish that they had because I feel like the game could have been a lot bigger than it was. So it's really cool to see Nisei doing some of this stuff. So part of what they're doing is one of the sets is called System Gateway, and uh, it's being released as kind of two different parts. Uh, you can uh, either... Uh, buy copies of these physical cards from um, drive-through cards or from make-playing cards, or you can download print-and-play versions of them. But the first one, first way it's being released is a starter decks, so you can have two decks that are ready to play right off the bat. And then if you like the game enough, you can buy um, the second part, which is called the deck-building pack, which gives you extra cards to start trying out different kinds of decks, different kinds of factions, different ways of playing the game. It's it's kind of like imagine if you started out with the investigator packs that were released last year for Arkham, and then there was another pack that basically just gave you another set of player cards to mix in to make your decks a little bit more interesting. And then in addition to that, there's kind of a there's there's other packs that you can get later as well. Does that make like sense, Ben? As a, as a fan of of this Arkham Horror, the card game we've heard of? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Seems reasonable. But we should mention also that, I mean, you can also play for free on Jinteki. You don't actually have to spend money on any of this stuff. It's only if you really like having physical cards, uh, which obviously we do. But, uh, you know, your your mileage may vary. Right. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest strengths of the game right now is that while some people might think that it's inaccessible because the original like FFG packs are 
non-existent. And if they do exist, they're like ridiculously expensive on eBay or whatever. You don't have to own them. I, I will always cherish my Italian copy of uh, Order and Chaos and my Japanese copy of Honor and Profit. They're very, very precious to me. And I spent too much money on them. Yeah. Well, but like the thing is, is that now you could just print and play them because it's not like licensed by by FFG. You can just print these cards, all the, the new cards and play them or support Nisei by, uh, you know, having them printed at a uh, like drive through games. Or- Make playing cards. Make playing cards and and uh, drive through. Um, they both do a great job at printing great quality cards uh, to play with. And you could just play on JNet, on Jinteki.net at any point in time. Uh, there are always people hanging out on there uh, willing to play games. Um, you just put up that you're a newer player and people will come and hang out. Well, it seems like there's a lot of options for diving into the game, uh, but I have no idea how any of these cards work. Uh, and it looks <laughs> like there's like 100 cards that are in these starter packs started decks and we're gonna go through them one at a time oh (laughs) so we we unfortunately do not have time to do a full review of all these cards because that would take an insane amount of time (laughs) uh but what we thought we would do is uh we thought we would each pick a couple of cards that we particularly liked to just talk about a little bit why we're excited about them including ben so uh and and i think we we each picked one uh one old card that is kind of being rotated back into the game like a classic and then one new card that, that was just designed by nisei and added in the new system update 2021 right yeah exactly right and ben you should definitely tell us how you came to pick these two cards because it's going to definitely be based on gameplay i bet <laughs> so uh i guess my cards are first in this in this uh document that you have given me uh i found looked at the ones that had the coolest art that i related to the most uh this card is called enigma it has some type of cyber spaceship on it. It looks like something out of like Halo or something. I don't know. There's like a cube trying to dock into a circular port. I'm not sure that's going to work, but uh, I don't know. It seemed pretty... the original art was like a cyber sphinx, and oh. I think this is this is trying to evoke that in a copyright uh, generic kind <laughs> right. of way, and 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 a more deluxe way because now it has a cube. Exactly. That's true. Exactly. Now with cube, I thought the enigma was how the cube was going to fit into the circle, but you know. <laughs> Maybe that's too, like, a two-year-old trying to solve blocks. Um, (laughs) um, So I'm going to read the card. I don't actually know how to read the card, so I'm just going to say the stuff that's on it. That's okay. That's part of the fun of it. It's called Enigma. There's a big number three in the top left corner inside of, like, an eight-pointed star. I'm not sure the significance of the eight-pointed star. That's the res cost. It said on the the left-hand side, but tilted, so you have to tilt your entire head, it says Ice Code Gate. Uh, also, in the bottom left of the card, again, tilted the wrong direction, so it's horizontal, not vertical. This card is both vertical and horizontal. Yeah. Like a very enigma. Yeah. And it has a number two on the bottom left sideways, or if you turn the whole card, the top left. That's the strength. The strength, okay. And that's also the visual complexity of a complex game. Okay. These are cards from the future. Uh, other things on the card, underneath, I realize now, if I tilt my head, this isn't a spaceship. It is a headless creature with four legs and wings, and now I understand why it's a sphinx. I didn't tilt <laughs> my head go. before. <laughs> Welcome to the so, fourth dimension, Ben. Uh, uh, so that that makes more sense, I guess. Still, still cool art. Uh, on the bottom left, or the bottom right of the card, or the bottom left, again, this orientation is crazy. It's crazy. Uh, there are three, or five, excuse me, five circles in a line that are all gray. Hmm. I, that kind of looks like an, Ar- uh, an Arkham Horror uh, level, so I'm going to say this card is level zero. Is that correct? What? Correct. Yeah, that is correct. That, that is actually, actually correct. All right, that's basically it. correct. Yeah. <laughs> and then the actual text on the card has an arrow that says the runner loses, and then there's a picture of a clock. Who knows what that means? They have to throw a clock away. That's in there. And then there's another arrow that says end the run. Uh, <laughs> I assume the runner loses when they lose the game, right? That's what that first part means. I assume. That'd be a very severe card. They don't actually have any cards that say the runner loses the game, unfortunately. I we've we've been doing this podcast for like two and a half years. We've had a lot of goofs. I don't think that we've ever done anything that I found as funny as just Ben trying to like phonetically sound out all of the text on on a netrunner card. It's hilarious and and amusing because it's I, I guess you don't realize that when you're when you're so far into a card game that these things look very foreign 
I, I guess I don't even register the fact that it's on like two dimensions, you know, because you've got the the horizontal <laughs> axis and both. If you flip it, it's like a vertical one. But anyway, so the the thing is, there are Arkham cards that are also sideways, right? Sometimes you have like an agenda and then you flip it over and it's an enemy or a location. Yeah, or but it's not both sideways and it's not vertical <laughs> and horizontal at the same time. Yeah, the text yeah, is yeah, all yeah. in the same direction, at least on the same yeah. side of the card. <laughs> So, right? so this, so, so the type of this card is an ice. So ice is like a defensive program that this goes in corp decks. This is a corp card. And you put this in front of your servers to make it harder for the runner to get into them. Netrunner is basically a game about, um, the corp trying to make it harder for the runner to get into their servers usually, and the runner trying to get into the corp servers. So ice is like the most basic way of doing that. You actually put so it down the trap from, card. Uh, well, it's I, before I don't know. a trap card. There's a lot of different types of trap cards yeah. in Netrunner, oh, but, um, wow. multiple traps, but this is, you put it down sideways in front of your, one of your servers, like your, your hand or your deck or like a new server that you make. And the orientation of it kind of indicates that it's like a, almost like a barrier that's in your way yeah. if the runner's trying to get in. Exactly. And if the runner wants to get into that server, they actually have to, the corp has an opportunity to activate this card to provide obstacles and maybe it could hurt the runner it could make them lose money or cards it could stop them that's what end the run means so this is like a very basic defensive card that was in the original core set of the game and the the clock icon that you saw there that you thought might imply that the runner loses the game it just means they lose one of their actions if they have any exactly yeah right oh that's the little clock is it's an action yeah it's an action okay an action got it i have another question on this card though there's more text on here i thought it was flavor text i just read it it says that, that everyone agrees that this creature smells blue and tastes like eternity. Can you explain that to me? Well, that's, that's part of the flavor of this game. Yeah. <laughs> you, in order to really understand what it means, you'd have to take cyber drugs and, uh, and go, go on a cyber trip. <laughs> or have synesthesia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, who, who knows what the future is going to be like when we're all jacked in, man? Like, it's, it's going to be great. That's, um, it's very exciting. It's going to taste a lot like Eternity. Yeah, there you go. One important thing to note here is that uh, in Netrunner, it's an action-based game. So both the the Corp and the Runner have a limited number of actions, but they get to choose what they want to do out of like kind of a list of actions. Much like an Arkham Horror. Right. So running is one of the things that the, the Runner can do, which is literally just initiating a run at a specific server. Do you have to physically run, like around the table? You don't have to get up and run. Active game? No, when we play, you have to do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's like kind of like the trial by fire new player thing. But in terms of what when it says end the run, that just means basically end that action that you declared as a run. So I just flip this card over and it ends uh, the person running at me. Seems pretty good. Yeah, and and the the way that a runner can deal with that is they could have a a piece of software that they've already played, uh, they've already installed, and that it could maybe bypass this piece of ice. And those are called icebreakers. And right. we might be talking about one of them later. So like an asset they play that then can help them skip my trap card. Uh, more like a piece of equipment, uh, in a way than an asset. Only because mm. Netrunner also has cards called called assets, and only corpse get to play them. But but they would have to already have that card on their board, and they would also probably have to spend money to use it. Uh, mm-hmm. Money is way more important in Netrunner than it is in, in Arkham Horror if we're if we're yes. comparing them. Yeah, just re- remember in the future, if you're a cyber, if you're a hacker, you're really poor, and corporations have lots of money. The future's so the all about cash, baby. Cold hard cash. Is there no dark horse uh, deck in Netrunner <laughs> where I can have more money? Well, there's there's plenty of them. They they just lose really fast, just like in Arkham Horror. <laughs> Um, oh, right. the, the, the number three that you, ha- you, you describe the star around it so much, that's how much it costs the corporation to, to activate the card though. And they only have to pay that cost one time yeah, to spring the trigger. Okay. So it's the cost. So just like an Arkham, the cost is on the top left. Yeah. And then in the, bo- the bottom left is this, the strength of the ice, which is how hard it would be for the runner to break it. If they did have one of these programs out. Okay. One of these okay. pieces of software. That res cost symbol on corp cards is interesting because, you know, the, playing a runner in Netrunner is similar to playing Arkham Horror, where most of your cards have a cost that you pay as soon as you play them. But for a corp, when you play your kind of permanent cards, which in Arkham Horror would be, you know, assets, you don't actually pay any money when you play them. You just pay an act, a click to put them on the, on the field. And then later, you know, the runner doesn't know what they are because they're face down. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where the hidden information comes in. And then later at various times during the game, then you can pay money to flip them and make the, make the runner deal with them. Right. So that, that lets you bluff and really hide a lot of stuff. Right. So being a runner is a lot more analogous in many ways to being an investigator in Arkham. And then there's this other, this is why it's, it's dancing. It's why it's asymmetrical. 
it's very different to play as a corporation where you're really hiding things from the other player. Being uh being the corp is honestly kind of like uh the keeper's nightmare uh thing that we did at yeah. Nights. Mm-hmm. That's what it was sounding like to me. Yeah. So does that mean the corporation yeah. just wins every time because it's a crushing? Uh, the runner basically has no chance and they're crushed. Uh, I think in, or... in the current the current state of the game, as far as I understand it, it's that's that's kind of what's been happening a lot. But it's it's it can vary back and forth because cards are. What if uh, Jeremy Zwern, I might have said his last name wrong, is playing the corporation? Does that make it easier or harder to win? Do you mean 2012 Netrunner World Champion Jeremy Zwern? <laughs> is that, is that <laughs> what you mean? Do you mean the guy whose art is on the card Architect, which is a super great card that we love? Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it means it, it means all three of us probably lose. Yeah. So we, think <laughs> uh, we would probably right. lose too. Is Architect in this set featuring? Jeremy? I would somehow double lose. Or has it been copyrighted? No, out? it was it was it was so good that they actually said we probably can't have this card be in the game anymore. <laughs> it's true. Architect should probably never be in the game again. Yeah. Uh, but right. I, I I love it very much. So I have a vague idea how this ice works. Now I'm going to move on to this next card. This next card uh, features art. It looks like some type of tentacle Cthulhu, but the name is Botulus. And it's this is important. It's a virtual Cthulhu. It exists vir- in the okay. cyber realm. Well, its name is Botulus, and that, isn't that like a type of virus in real life? Like a, to- a bacteria, or a toxin, yeah. or a bacteria or something? Yeah, so I assume that's what Aspecture actually is, but it looks like a Cthulhu, so that's why I picked it. Um, you know, it warmed up to home. Now, this one has a two in the top left, so I guess that's its cost. Yep. Mm-hmm. But it also has a little picture of a computer chip with a one on it in the top mm-hmm. left. That's the memory cost. You have to pay pay a chip as well. Is there two type of resources? I don't know. It's it's kind of like how you have two hand slots in Arkham. You have four like memory. Slots oh, okay. Kind of. So it's a slot. It's just a different place. It makes sense. It makes sense. The bottom. Le- oh, this whole card is in fact vertical. In case anyone was <laughs> wondering, unlike the last one. So the bottom left has a dash in it. So I guess it has no power. And uh, the right-hand side, there are three colored dots, so I guess it's level three. Yeah, kind of. Uh, the text says, Program Virus. Install only on a piece of ice. When you install this program and when your turn begins, place one virus counter on this program. And then it says, Hosted Virus Counter. Break one subroutine on host ice. <laughs> and the text is, Was it something you ate? Was it? <laughs> I don't know. So what, what what is this? The whole what's going on with this card? Looks like it weakens ice. This is an icebreaker that you would use to break as the, the runner would use this to get past cards like Enigma that you just showed previously. Right. Okay. So when it says break one subroutine, those things on Enigma with the little arrows like end the run, those are subroutines. Right. So if you if you encountered an Enigma and this botulus was hosted on the Enigma and it had a virus counter, you could pay that virus counter to break the end the run subroutine and then the run would not end. So you would be able to continue the run past Enigma. If you didn't break it, you would have to stop right there and Enigma would keep you out. Okay. So this is a, this is a, a debuff that you play on the ice. So it's like kind an of. ice melter or a thar. Sure. Most icebreakers are keyed to a specific type of ice, either barrier, code gate, or sentry. So you kind of need like this full suite of programs to be pretty confident that you can get into most servers. This one, though, uh, I don't see that it has any type of limitation. It's on not it. really even explicitly an icebreaker. The only yeah, I was surprised it didn't say icebreaker AI because normally icebreakers that can break any type of ice are usually marked as AI, which is like a special trait. But yeah, uh, yeah I guess this isn't technically an icebreaker, but it works just like one. Yeah, well, you you attach this to the ice, right? Right. So I thought icebreakers were stuff you like played in your uh, player area or something. There have been icebreakers that you attach to ice before, like mm-hmm. Ika and Knight. Yeah, but the way that this the way that this would work functionally is if you had if the corporation had played a card like Enigma then you could you as the runner could install this on the enigma and then if the botulus had virus count uh counters on it you could remove one to say avoid the thing that says end the run on enigma yeah okay and could you let this sit there for a couple turns so that you can disable a bunch of subroutines you certainly could you can but then the corp can choose to use actions on its turn to get rid of virus counters usually that means it has to take up its whole turn though yeah so it can be really taxing right but it's effective virus counters are maybe a little bit like charge counters or secrets in arkham only way more so in that there's a bunch of different cards that use them there's cards that let you move them around or gain more you can build whole decks around them 
Um, but the corp always has this kind of fallback plan where if you ever have way too much really powerful virus stuff going on, the corp can just spend their whole turn to purge all virus counters from the board. Like the big red button. Oh, okay. You could think about it as if, like, in Arkham Horror, Cthulhu could take all your gasoline from your chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so that's again like playing a keeper's nightmare where Jeremy's word and would just you know say I like that card and throw it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're yeah, you're really yeah. getting the hang of this. I mean, but you'd still, you you would still have the card, but you wouldn't have anything to use it with. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, Jeremy actually took our cards and ripped them up in little pieces. Was that was that not? <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit more extreme. Yeah, I was I was pretty upset about that, but that's 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 how you play Magic the Gathering, as far right. as that's oh, okay. not not Netrunner. Yeah. One thing that would be worth mentioning here is that. There are, much like in Arkham, different factions that you can play. This card is orange, as you might have noticed. It is part of the Anarch faction, which is one of the three runner factions. Is that the best faction? Because the orange yes. or orange in uh, Arkham is the best faction. I would yeah. say overall, during the period of time in the game when we played, Anarch most often was the best faction. Yes. And the most fun to but play. Anarch, and all, also Alex's favorite. Anarch specifically uh, centers themselves around like trashing things, like murdering things, or, or like blowing up, sub- blowing up stuff, basically. And like wow. viruses are one of their ways to do that. It infects stuff to make it weaker so that they can later blow it up or, or blow it up. That's what they do. Yeah, a lot of a lot of blowing things thing up and a lot of self harm. Yes. Wow. All right. If you're trying to translate it to Arkham Horror, I would say it's maybe kind of like a mystic rogue kind of feel somewhere in there, maybe. Sure. Hmm. So not orange. But I, it it doesn't. It's it's not a perfect analogy. Well, I mean, Arkham Horror you just throw dynamite to blow stuff up, which is Guardians. So. But this is that this is, is cyber blowing. Is that stuff not up? like that? It's like mm-hmm. I said. It's not a it's not a perfect analogy. We should move on though and move on. Yeah. To the, to so the I have a question. Yeah. You guys picked the rest of these cards. Do you want me to keep trying to read these cards, or would you guys like to do it so it don't doesn't take another hour? Let's let's have each person that picked the cards do, <laughs> Damn do the reading. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very excited <laughs> by you reading the cards I chose, which are the next ones to go up. But I think that we maybe would be talking for another hour. I, I think we've right. already we've already gotten some really great milk out of that particular cow, <laughs> so we can probably cyber milk out of that cyber cow. So the uh, the old card that I chose is actually a card that uh, briefly was was not part of the like tournament legal cards, uh, but was a card designed by FFG. It's uh, it's an identity. So in very similar to Arkham Horror, Ben, you as a runner or as a corporation choose an identity. Um, it's either your uh, individual hacker or you represent part of a larger corporation, like a branch of a larger corporation. Um, and so I chose one of the the runners. It's a criminal runner, so it's it's blue instead of orange. And it's his name is Steve Cambridge, Master Grifter. That's his that's his title. <laughs> um, and you'll see on the card in the upper left there is a zero with two rectangles that seem to be interlocking. That means that he doesn't come with any link, which is a thing used in the game to avoid the the um, corporation finding you, like discovering you. It's like how how well connected you are to the net. So he has none of that. Does that's he have like great. low wisdom? Or not, um, not very much courage? It, it's yeah, more like he's. Really. It's more like no. he has poor. <laughs> um, it's like he doesn't have a lot of uh, good good social connections yet. He needs he needs to get some charisma, but, but you can only get that through playing cards. He doesn't have uh, friends in high places, which is also a netrunner card. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a it's a sure gamble that he doesn't have friends in high places. That's 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 a twofer. Um, underneath that is uh, you see that same symbol that you saw on Botulus, and it has a four in it, and that means that he can have uh, uh, programs that take up four memory slots. So you could have four Botuluses if you were allowed to legally play four of them. You're not, but but just so that you can have a sense of it. So it's like he has four hands right now, and you can you can mm. change that with other cards. Cyber hands. His pic- in his picture, he has two hands. One of his hands has like uh, data flying off of it, or something, a map. Or, I don't That's know. one of his many cyber hands. He kind of, actually, his hand looks like it has like three or four bubbles on it. Is it like a Thanos glove where he inserts chips and uh, <laughs> hacking occurs, or what? Not everything's the dang Avengers, Ben. And I also don't think you understood the Avengers very well if you think that what Thanos was doing was hacking. <laughs> he was. He was like he was hacking the universe. Well, uh, right? in, in Ben in Ben's fan fiction, uh, actually that is <laughs> Well Ben, if you think that Thanos was hacking the universe in, in your fan fiction, the Netrunner is definitely the game for you. There Absolutely. you go. Absolutely. When those people, uh spoilers, uh turned into dust, they did it like as if they were going down on a ray list. It did just all happen at once. So there was some processing happening as it, there you as go. it determined, yeah. determined who was going to be We're going to talk about murder as it pertains to Netrunner later. So I'm glad you brought it up. In the bottom left of the card, because this card is, to, to follow what Ben said, a vertical card completely. There's no horizontal elements to it. Although if you turn the card sideways, 
It's all horizontal. Uh, there's the number 45, and that's the minimum number of cards that he's allowed to have in his deck. And you, most identities for the corp or the runner mean you have to have 45 cards. That's so many more than 30. Wait, can you put more than 45 cards in your deck? You can no. put more. You, no, you can't. Oh, you can't. That's sorry. <laughs> I mean, technically, technically, you can, but you'd be crazy too. Yeah, this oh, is this wait, is. Uh, so, are you saying in this game you get can like you can just put extra cards in your deck? You don't need versatile or anything to increase your deck size. <laughs> it's slightly different for corporations and runners. Runners can have as many cards in their deck, but because wow. corporations have cards in their deck that are linked to win conditions, they're called agendas, and we're going to talk about them a little bit later. Um, they have to have a certain proportion of agenda points to cards in their deck, so that it's possible for the runner to win the game. <laughs> Or you do it. Okay. In the bottom right is another number, and that's 15. And that's how much influence he has, um, which relates to those colored in dots you notice on the side of the card, Ben. If you're playing a card that isn't from your faction, so, you know, Botulist was an Anarch card, Steve Cambridge could have um, up to 15 points of um, influence. So you could put cards in that have a total of 15 dots from other factions into his deck. He doesn't have to, but he could. He has access to off-class cards, just by limit. It's exactly. limited by their their power level. Okay. He's limited by their power level, not by what they do or what class they're in specifically. Like in Arkham. not that they have the insight trait on them, or uh, <laughs> yeah, there's there's no upgrading. You're you you know you have the same cards in your deck all the time. You basically it, it's as if you could get up to all level cards from your own faction as much as you want, and you'd only have to pay for the out of faction cards. Right. And again, that's part of why this this game is much more imaginative than um, than Arkham Horror, because unlike having to be told a story, you have to create new stories with every game, and yeah, that's, you have to yeah. build new decks and, and tell new things. Yeah. So then, in the in the text box in the bottom of the card, it says his uh, it says it's an identity, so it just tells you what the card type is, and he's a G mod, which means he's a modified human through cybernetic enhancements, which is part of what I think you were looking at, Ben. Although I don't know. If actually his glove is a cybernetic enhancement or not, but more like I don't know. There's there's whatever's going on with his eye happening on it. <laughs> and he's got a cyber cyber lens or monocle or something. And then underneath that is uh, the rules text. So it says the first time each turn you make a successful run on HQ, you may choose two cards in your heap. If you do, the corp removes one of those cards from the game. Then you add the other card to your grip. So that's a lot of um, very netrunner specific terms. But what it means is. Dane already described running. So if the first time that you as the runner decide to run on HQ, which is the corporation's hand, if it's successful, which means if you get to the end of the run, if no ice stops you and nothing ends the run, then you get to choose two cards from your your heap, which is your discard pile. And then the corporation has to pick which one of them you get back. And then the other one gets removed from the game. So it's a really cool way to recur very powerful cards. And... It was part of a, initially when it was released by FFG, it was part of a standalone-ish subset called Terminal Directive that was supposed to actually be a legacy game. It didn't really work very well for all of us who played. My great memory of it was playing as Steve Cambridge, which uh, meant I was really disadvantaged because the corporation cards were much better in that set. (laughs) But he's got a really fun ability and he lets you do lots of kind of strange things that aren't that easy to do as a runner because there's actually (laughs) not a lot of ways as a runner to recur cards from your discard. And unlike um, unlike in Arkham, when you run through your deck, that's it. We should also say, unlike Arkham and like like every other card game in the world, Arkham is like the only one where you just get to free shuffle your deck when you've reached the end of it, which is crazy. But the other th- the thing that's cool about Steve Cambridge uh, is cost one horror. Well, okay, yeah, yeah. It <laughs> so this illustrates that when you make a run on the corporation servers, you're trying to access cards so that if there are agendas, you can steal them. Is is the main thing you want to do. Um, but it can have other effects as well. So when you run HQ, normally what happens is you get to randomly look at one of the cards in the corpse hand. And if it's an agenda, you steal it out of their hand and you, you, it's really great. Um, but you can also get other things that happen. Like it, this adds this additional effect where you also get to recur a card. There's also a card called account siphon, which is very famous where you make a run on the corpse hand. And if you succeed, instead of accessing cards, you basically steal a bunch of the corpse money and it can be devastating. So that's like very much in the kind of like the signature of this guy's faction criminal. They want money. And in fact, that was the reason I liked it so much. Uh, that card has long since been removed from being legal to play. But I'm excited to see now that it's back what you can do with cards that are slightly less powerful, <laughs> including uh, a card called Diversion of Funds, which was oh, yeah. the functional replacement for the card account siphon. It's a little bit less strong, but still really, really annoying if you're the corporation. Oh, yeah. So this guy's like an investigator, I'm guessing different 
identities have different numbers of links, different numbers of chips, and then obviously different abilities. Exactly. They can, yeah. And their deck building is faction based. Yeah. Do they not? Is there is based on like how I guess those other numbers they determine how many cards are in their deck versus how many out of class cards they get or something? Kind of balances that. Yeah. Most IDs have like forty five deck size, fifteen influence, and four uh, memory, and like zero or one link is almost everybody fits into that but there's a few that have like a smaller deck size or more or less influence just to compensate for if they have a really good or bad like ability but this is generally the baseline i noticed there's no elder sign symbol on this card (laughs) is that that sort of implies that there is there no chaos bag in this game no there's no chaos bag it's it's a much simpler game in that way so so you have to do a lot less math that's good. You have to do a lot more like <laughs> financial math and a lot less random probability math. You have to do a uh, lot more, what can I afford to do this turn? And you have to do a lot more math on, I know there's this many agendas left, roughly. Where are they? What's the chance that they're here? What's the chance that they're here? Mm-hmm. That that kind of thing. So it's kind of a little bit more like a Euro game where you have to like a little bit, balance yeah. all your actions more and you can, can do your costs of what you know, but not what the other person's going to do. Right. One thing that I would add is we're talking a lot you're asking a lot of questions about deck building, which makes a lot of sense because you've been playing Arkham. But actually, <laughs> you don't have to build do any deck building to play Netrunner, as we we're talking about right now. They're, they're releasing sets with pre-made decks. And deck building can, in some ways, be, be a little bit more challenging than in Arkham because you really can pick from the entire card pool. So just know that it's, it's a real process of trial and error um, in a way that maybe is a little bit different than in Arkham sometimes. And also, just like for Arkham... You say it's a process of trial and error. Are you saying that you yourself have tried and errored a lot? I've definitely tried less than both Dan and Dane because, I was, as I was going to say, just like in Arkham, there's a website where people post their decks. It's mm-hmm. NetrunnerDB. And so you could also go there and see decks that people have built to get ideas of the way in which they think cards might synergize so together. Is it a clone for ArkhamDB, I assume? I think it, uh, it in fact, <laughs> happened the other way around. <laughs> They're they're actually uh, all derived uh, from the Game of Thrones LCG DB. I'm pretty sure. If you go yeah, but let's ne- nobody wants to talk about that. Dan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. That's for that's for another podcast called uh, Theros University. Yeah, <laughs> I think that might also but, be a dead game. I think they, I, miss, I, miss me with that shit. Uh, but but I think oh, Westeros, we, we, not Theros, right? Yeah, Sorry, but, that's a bad magic slip. Yeah, but 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 we should reiterate that if you're getting into the game, you can start with these pre-made decks that the Nisei people are just putting out in the new uh, set, and those will be you'll have a great time with those. You don't really have to worry about deck building until you want to. All right. Well. I think I understand this. Do we want to move on to this next card? Yeah, so the next card is a new uh, piece of hardware, um, and it costs four to install. It's called Carnivore. So the uh, And then there's a four in the circle next to it, which is, as you, as you noted properly, how much it costs to play it. It's a runner card. It's an Anarch card. Um, next to the name Carnivore, there's a diamond. That means it's, it's a unique card, so you're only allowed to have one of them in play at a time, but you could have more than one in your deck. Um, it would tell you in the rules text if you could only have mm. one. And it's a hardware, um, it's the card type, it's a console, which means it's essentially your computer as the runner. You don't have to have a console, but it modifies, essentially modifies your like base existing console that is kind of unspoken in the game. Is this the type of console that lets me play Halo, or the one that lets me play This one Mario? lets you play a very, very good both. mashup of both. Mm. It's just, it's all Master Chief hitting blocks with his head. <laughs> I would, I would I would play that. Like a Marvel versus Capcom type of situation? No, or... I just said it's Master Chief hitting blocks with the set. I was very specific. <laughs> no. Don't ask me for more details about Halo. I definitely know a lot about that. This game. is this is the future. If things keep going at the current rate, there's going to be a lot of characters in Smash Brothers by then. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then underneath, underneath uh, where it says hardware, it says plus one, and then it has that same kind of microchip symbol. And so what that means is if a runner has this installed, they can have one more memory worth of programs installed. So if it was Steve Cambridge, he would have five memory. And then underneath that is the rules text. It's the special thing that this card does. And what it does is when you access something from, if you've completed a run and you're accessing cards from the corporation as the runner, you can choose to pay a cost, which is bolded, which is trash two cards from your grip, which is your hand. And then... Uh, If you do that, you're allowed to trash the card you're accessing, and you can only use it once per turn. Um, And the reason why this card... Oh, well, maybe I'll finish reading the text of the card, actually, and then I'll (laughs) tell you why I think it's interesting. Uh, It tells you there's a limit of one console per player. What that means, again, isn't that you can only have one in your deck. You can only have one out at a time. And then it costs three influence. And its flavor text is, it hungers to sink teeth into problems. Loop. But the reason that this card is exciting, the reason I picked it is because it lets you... We'll see this later with some of the cards, but 
when you access assets uh, that the corp has or upgrades, you can often trash them. Occasionally you can do that also with cards called operations, which are played once and then discarded. But usually you can't, and there's almost no way to trash ice. But this card lets you choose if you want to, when you're accessing a piece of ice, say from somebody's hand or from their deck or an operation, or a card with a really expensive trash cost, to instead discard two cards from your hand to get rid of it, to make them discard it. So it lets you do something, kind of, it breaks the rules of the game a little bit in a way that I think is, can be really fun. There's a, a number of other cards that do similar things for Anarchs right now, so you can kind of pair them together and really start trashing a lot of the, a lot of the corporation's cards. And that's what Dane meant earlier when he said that Anarchs are really about burning things down instead of just breaking them, right? It's to, to kind of make sure that the corp can't do what it wants as opposed to just trying to get around what it's already doing. Right. And I guess a good thing to mention would be when you're accessing cards, that is the runner literally like looking at a card from either the corpse hand or the top of the deck or in their discard pile or on the board. You do that by running or something? Yeah, you do that by yeah. successfully running. Right. If, if you run R&D, which is the corpse deck, you get to literally look at the top card of their deck without showing it to them. And if it's an agenda, you steal it. If it's a card that you can trash, you get to trash right. it. So you really get to interfere with their entire game plan by making runs on their servers. Yeah. And you just have to run on the table. You spend an action, you run on the table. And this is how you get to pick something to access. Yeah. If, if, if you get past their ice that they have in front of that server. Oh, so they put the ice, they put the traps in front of their stuff? Right. In front of their deck or their hand? Yeah. Yeah, their deck, yep. their hand, okay. their discard, or they can make other places to put cards. That's where they oh. put cards that the to score. And Dane, I think maybe talking about one of those cards. How do they section. make more space? Do they? It's just an action. Land from from families and kick them out or whatnot. They they just increase their AWS quota or whatever. Yeah, they, uh, they they just scale up a little bit, you know. But it does not cost them. It does not it does not cost them anything other than an action. Okay, so this is seems like this is a card you play. It gives you an extra ability and another. Uh, chip that you plug into your brain or into your gauntlet or whatever yeah anarchs get a kind of like survivors in arkham horror they get a lot of cards where they get to pay cards from their hand to pay for things but you also might think about it like dark horse the card you were talking about earlier it's a way that you would it's a build around in a way right you might want a deck where you're going to trash lots of the corporation's cards it's an uncommon effect or cards that benefit you from trashing your own cards yeah, there, there's cards kind of like, uh, what are the ones in, in Arkham, like um, Winging It or whatever, yeah. that benefit from being in your heap, so you could play cards like that. All right. Let's 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 move on, though. Let's, let's, talk, let's shift over to Dane's cards, because the first one's going to be relevant to what we were just talking about. Yes. So the first card that I picked uh, is a corp card that's returning, and I'm very happy about it, uh, because it's one of the first cards I fell in love with. It's called Snare, with an exclamation point. It's like the most Dane-ass card in the entire game, maybe. <laughs> Uh, so the zero in the top left corner uh, denotes the res cost is zero. Ooh, it is an asset. Its subtype is ambush. Asset is basically a. Is it an asset in Arkham? Let's let's just get past it. It's a thing that the corp can put in a server. Yeah, I think that's why it's it's easy to it's easy to think about runners as being like investigators, and its corps are like kind of nothing specific in, Ar- <laughs> sure, in Arkham sure. Horror. It all, it all maps pretty well, except the word asset is very confusing yeah. in this context. So it is an asset that's an ambush. and it's like a counter card. Right. And you'll notice yeah. on, the, on the bottom left corner, uh, there are two little pips denoting that it costs two influence to import into your deck if you're playing a different faction. And but they're on the left side of the card instead of the right side. That's a good observation. Yeah, that way you can visually tell corporation cards from runner cards. Exactly. Oh, okay. Uh, and then you might notice in the bottom right-hand corner, there's a little trash can with like some little like whooshy lines. But it's like a cyber trash can. It's a cyber trash can. That means that uh, when the when the runner is accessing it, they can pay that amount of credits or money to trash it. So this is free to trash. So why would the court play this card? Well, it has an ability. It says while the runner is accessing this card from R&D, that is their deck, they may reveal it. They must reveal it. When the runner accesses this card from anywhere except archives, which is your discard pile as the corp, you may pay four credits. If you do, give the runner one tag and do three net damage. This is bad for the runner. So (laughs) what you as the runner have as your life, as opposed to Arkham, where you have a specific arbitrary like amount, a number that is written on your investigator card, is you have your hand. As the runner, your hand or your grip is your life. If you lose one more than all cards in your hand, you die. 
So what this would effectively do is do three net damage. There are a few different types of damage, but largely they do the same thing in that they will randomly knock cards out of your hand as the runner. So if you take three net damage, you discard three cards at random from your hand is basically what that translates to. So if you access this card and you only had two cards in your hand and the corp was able to pay to activate this ability, you would just die. Right. The corp would successfully yeah. murder you. So yeah. this is a trap card. It yes. sure is. It's an this, ambush. Yeah. This, is, this is the trap card. This is, this is <laughs> the trap card, yes. And if you notice, it also says give the runner one tag. Alex was talking about uh, Link, which is, which is kind of the way that you hide yourself or, or uh, how connected you are to the net. This is kind of the opposite of it, where tags are ways for the corp to track runners, to find them in the physical world. So tags are, are bad for the runner to have because the runner uh, can be found easier, which means that their friends can be found easier, which means that the corp can get one step close to murdering you and your friends, uh, which is not good. <laughs> you don't want to be there. Normally, so normally in Netrunner, the, the way the game is set up, the runner kind of has the initiative and the corp is very reactive. The runner makes runs and the corp can defend themselves, but they don't really get to just directly attack the runner very much. Right. When the runner has a tag... It's like the scene in a movie where there's like spy satellite footage of like a, a red glowing crosshair, like narrowing in on someone's face. Suddenly it's like now the corp knows where you are. Now they have a lot of things they can do to trash your cards, straight up murder you, steal your money, do basically anything. Right. For all of you longtime Netrunner fans, too, this really tells you a lot about how Dan played the game, because there certainly were some corp decks that were aggressively about putting pressure on, on the runner and then killing them before they could do anything. Oh, yeah. Very, very, very true. <laughs> There were corp decks and an entire corp faction based around trying to make give the runner lots of tags, and then murder. and then you you can win that way, right. and and similarly, yes. Yeah, so, so I mean, Dane mentioned, you know, the goal of the corp is not always to score victory points and win. You can certainly do that, but you can also just build entire decks where you're trying to kill the runner. Right. It's like how in 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 Arkham sometimes scenarios have some somewhat bad endings and terrible endings. yeah exactly and and like so think of like damage as an alternate means for the corp to win the game the the runner can't do it the runner can't murder corporations that's just they only win the game by getting agendas out of their deck somehow yeah stealing like sometimes you win by the monster wins by accomplishing its goals and sometimes it wins by you getting lost in space and time the the runner the runner can also win by decking the corp if the corpse deck runs out but uh no one no one here would play a degenerate deck that Nobody. tries to make that happen that's yeah, yeah. no regular I mean, member yeah. of this cast would do that yeah certainly not <laughs> <laughs> all right what's what's the next card dane uh so the next card is marjana i believe i pronounced that right it is a uh, runner card so this is a criminal program it costs zero up in the top left there and it costs uh, one uh, memory slot, or, or MU, to uh, install into your rig. It is a program. It's an icebreaker. So we talked about icebreakers before. Uh, this, is, this is the thing to help you interact with ice. It is a fractor, uh, which we'll get back to in a second. It has an ability, a couple abilities on it, but it has one strength, which is kind of parallel to ice. And it is one influence to import if you're out of faction. The abilities on it, it says interface. Pay two credits, or two money, to break one barrier subroutine. If you made a successful run this turn, this ability costs one credit less to use. Next line, a credit to boost its strength by one. So plus one strength. So what these program, uh, these, these icebreakers allow you to do is deal with ice that are in front of servers that basically serve as like traps or firewalls uh, into the corp servers. So this can break barriers. Fracture basically just means it can interact with a specific type of ice, which is the barrier ice. I usually just call them barrier breakers, which is what most of the people that play Netrunner do, not actual fractures. <laughs> but that would make more sense for the name of what it does to be the pro- what the program's called. But that wouldn't be as cool because we're in we're in cyberspace, not regular space. So this card gets better as you if you, if you run a server successfully. And that's kind of like a, a, a hallmark of, of Criminal in that they want to make a lot of runs early. They want to pressure the corp faster, just kind of their general game plan. And this fits exactly into that. And it's very cheap too. It's zero to install. Not a lot of programs are zero to install. Dan loves programs that are zero to install. 
I do. I really do. And this one is one influence, which means it's very accessible to other to non-criminal decks. Uh, but if you made a run on one of Ben's servers and Ben res that enigma that we talked about earlier, that's a code gate. And you had this program, you would not be able to use this to break that enigma because that's a code gate and this only breaks barriers. But if Ben res the barrier, you, so eventually a lot of the time in Netrunner, the runner is kind of trying to draw enough cards and get enough money to play a set of, you know, three icebreakers so that they can get through any type of ice. Not always. Obviously, there's other ways around it. But a lot of times it's like once a runner has all three, then in theory, if they have enough money, they can get into any server. Right. Right. And and that's called like assembling your rig. Once you have your rig assembled, which is like your computer with all its programs that you need to to beat the corp, essentially, then you're then you're in a good place uh, and, and you're you're bound to win the game asterisk so it's just a weapon to help help fight the traps for right now right? exactly yeah yeah I get it and in of. case you're wondering the art on it looks very suspicious uh because it's it's very similar to the cat on the front of the twilight imperium box interesting i was i i can see that i was also thinking like uh the panther from the jungle book or something yeah it's, it's a little cat head <laughs> but this this is a very this is a classic icebreaker because the art is kind of like a, a glowing cyber animal and the name <laughs> is a kind of some kind of like mythological or literary reference that's yeah. like a very classic icebreaker thing i was hoping there would be some like cyber dinosaurs in this game but when i looked through all the art on these cards there wasn't any and that seems like a big missed opportunity i think just not in this set i think that is the thing that mm-hmm. we've seen yeah very very cool also, all birds are essentially dinosaurs, so just remember that as you look at the number of birds. But this that is are a in the cat. Game. Yeah, this oh, one, this no. in this instance, but there are lots of birds in this game too. I mean, maybe and in the plants. future we'll discover that cats are also dinosaurs. You know, I mean, it's you, you never know. Okay, so let me let me talk about a couple cards I picked out. So for a returning card from the original, uh, from for early in the game, not not the core set, I think, but soon afterwards, I picked project vitruvius so this is a corp card it's an agenda so these are like the victory point cards that you actually need to 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 steal or score sometimes to win the game uh this one it has a glowing symbol in the upper right with a three on it that is the advancement requirement for this agenda so that's sort of the amount of advancement tokens you have to place on it if you're the corp in order to score it and then it has a little triple hexagon symbol with a two on it below that that's the number of points that this is worth so this is worth two points. Game ends when somebody gets the seven points. So if you steal or score this, you're, you know, you're a decent chunk of the way there. This is an agenda and it's research. And it says, when you score this agenda, place one agenda counter on it for each hosted advancement counter past three. And then it says, hosted agenda counter, add one card from archives to HQ. The flavor text is perfection of form. So this is something called a 3-2 agenda, which is an agenda that you can score with three tokens and it's worth two points. And these, throughout the entire history of the game, have been basically excellent because three advancement tokens, the corp gets three clicks in a turn. So this means you can put this down secretly on one turn and the runner doesn't know if it's a trap like snare or an agenda or just some random card that they don't care about. And if they don't run it and they don't steal it, then the next turn you can just spend your whole turn advancing it three times and score it. So it you can kind of score it without giving out too much away to the runner usually. So a, a click in, in that runner is an action, right. and uh, and and in in Arkham, um, and Dan has a really hard time with that because when we the one time we ever played Arkham together, he uh, <laughs> we had to tax him because he kept calling actions. I clicks. will never stop you. I, I refuse to stop doing it. It makes too much sense. Um, and they called clicks as a reference to the borrowed time card in Arkham. Yeah, uh, again, like, again, uh... again. That card came out many years after Netrunner. The the, the <laughs> original and vastly superior of these two games was released they're called clicks because of the thing you do with a mouse buddy uh that's that, that's that's why that happens uh but anyway so there's also there's a lot of ways to fast advance agendas where if you can gain extra clicks on your turn or if you can do something to put tokens on an agenda without spending clicks maybe you can play this and then score it in the same turn and you can just very safely get a bunch of points the thing that's really cool about vitruvius is if you do manage to get more than three advancement counters on it with a normal agenda, that might not actually do anything because you only need three to score it. But with Vitruvius, if you can put a fourth on there, you basically get a free um, scrounge for supplies, I guess, in the parlance of uh, Arkham. You get a, Instantly, you can get a card back from your discard pile, which is incredibly powerful, maybe even more than it seems. At any time, too. It's like it's like a fast action. This I, I scored a lot of these. This is a great card. Uh, I also notice this does not have an influence symbol on it. Agendas cannot be shared across different factions. You can only play agendas in your own faction when you're making a corp deck, which is actually cool because it, it sort of helps make sure that your deck feels like the faction that it's actually in. 
Yeah. One thing that we actually forgot to mention about your card, Enigma, earlier is that it's a neutral card. So there are oh, some yeah. cards that are factionless that can go in any deck. That's just like unexpected courages and manual dexterities that right, are not right. upgraded in in that that Arkham Horror game that you keep talking about. Yeah, I uh, yeah I, I scored a lot of Vitruviuses. My favorite way probably was to put it down on the field, have somebody not run it, and then score it with four counters using Jeeves. That was always great. G- great card. I love love Project Vitruvius. Jeeves is a robot butler, by the right, way, right? Because he's from that website, <laughs> and you yeah. can and you can for for for, for Ben because you care so much about lore. These are the secret plans that the corporations are trying to to to, to finish, Ooh. and it's this information that runners are trying to steal so they can expose the evil things that corporations are trying to do. In this case, yeah. it's to make kind of um, synthetic humanoid mechanical hybrids. One of one of several types of synthetic humans in the Netrunner universe. Yeah, th- th- this was this was the faction that I like playing best as Corp. It was also uh, if you were just trying to score points, this was like these three two agendas is the classic thing that you would put in your deck and that you you, you rely on. Some of us might have called it the boring faction to play. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I'm not even going to argue that, but uh, you know, some some of us like boring. So okay, let me let me talk about one more card. So this is a new card that I'm actually very excited about. This is a Shaper Runner card uh, called Pantograph. It's unique. Its play cost is two. It's a hardware and a console. So this is sort of like a carnivore that we talked about earlier. It has plus one memory, and it says uh, whenever an agenda is scored or stolen, gain a credit. Then you may install one card from your grip. That's your hand. And then standard stuff, limit one console per player. Uh, it costs three influence if you're not a shaper. And uh, the flavor text, with this beautiful baby, I can juggle simultaneous runs by haptic feedback alone. That is extremely Netrunner flavor text. Uh, <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> Man, I'm staring at the art in this card. It appears to feature a robot with four arms. Those, those are the cyber arms oh, yeah. I was talking uh, about. Interacting with some type of hollow map. How come it can't just plug into the hollow map? Why does it need the arms? This is faster. Haptic feedback. You know, like a, you know, like a, you know, when you put a rumble pack in your N64 controller to play like Wave Race or whatever, and you could feel the waves. This is like that, but for hacking. That's how powerful it is. Or do you know, like when you really want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and you just think about it a lot, but when you touch it, you can actually eat it. <laughs> Haptic feedback. Yeah, Haptic. It, you can't beat it. I, I love this. So it's cheap. It's only two. It gives you a memory. I love playing a lot of programs and then selling them and then reinstalling them. Uh, it also, whenever an agenda is scored or stolen, love that phrase. My favorite corp identity, Sports Metal, uh, does that basically. But it basically, if you're going to steal a lot of agendas or if you're going to, if the corp is going to, if you're going to let the corp score some agendas, this is going to pay you to do it and you get an instant speed free install. You can even trigger things. There's a lot of things that are like, you gain a card or you gain a credit or something the first time you install something every turn, this is going to let you install something from your hand during the corpse turn and you get to double dip. Hmm. It's, it's incredible. I absolutely love this card. Shapers only had like one good console ever, which was Astrolabe. This is really, really good. I would, I would love to play this. You know, when it says it installs it, do you still have to pay the cost or is it like yeah, play versus put into play? It would tell you if, if you need to ignore it. Yeah, the, okay. you, you'd still have to pay the cost. You'd still have to obey any restrictions. Like, you can only install it during this, when this happens. Or you couldn't have a second console. Right, but you don't have to spend a click to do it. One good thing to note here uh, about, about like, the frequency of, of how, how this will be triggering is that, like, corp agendas generally range from 1 to 3 points each. And they need roughly 18 to 20 points worth of agendas in their deck. So this is going to be triggering four six times ish which is a lot of value and it could be even more yeah there's there's agendas that are worth like zero points that can be scored or stolen it's yeah i so this faction this runner faction shapers are all about uh playing a lot of uh you know programs and stuff uh selling them turning them into other programs uh very fun shapers just kind of by lore are like the artists of the world and they like to like tinker with things and do things just because they can Yes, long-time yeah. listeners of this podcast will probably know. We've we've described, Dan, Dan, and I have described three runner cards from each of the factions that we probably feel the closest connection to. And, you, <laughs> and Ben, you can probably see that reflected in our personalities. Like, I want to burn things down. Dane's trying to manipulate things. And Dan just wants to do some weird bullshit that nobody's going to pay attention to. And maybe it's going to mean, mean something. I'm, I'm also down for burning stuff down. I just don't really want to get my hands dirty with it, you know? it's uh, You almost yeah. never have played an Anarch deck <laughs> in, all, in all the games of Netrunner we've played together. 
Wow, these are these are some exciting new cards. I got to say, it's really impressive that um, I mean, you know, FFG did it did a good job designing the game. It's just, but it's it's incredible that like a group of fans and volunteers can more or less seamlessly just kind of take over and start making really neat cards like this. That's really neat. Yeah, and that they saw us through a really difficult year. Uh, they had they had competitive play tournaments. They kept working on this this game as as we were all dealing with the pandemic, and 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 as we're hopefully getting maybe closer towards the end of it, they they just gave us a bunch of new cards. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you guys took the time on this first uh, of April to teach me about Netrunner. Finish the line, Ben. Ben, you're welcome. <laughs> I am very excited to try it out. Yeah, you got to run some nets <laughs> with us at some point. Uh, I will surely do that. Ben, are you still playing Pokemon Go? S- s- sort of. Netrunner, Netrunner is like the best <laughs> game in the world. Pokemon Go is like the worst game in the world. That's like the that's that's the kind of disparity that we're dealing I, with here. I feel like there are still somehow worse games than Pokemon Go, but I won't argue that it is not uh, a very high tier game. Uh, <laughs> Well, everybody, those are the cards that we chose. We hope you guys learned something about Netrunner, the card game. Thanks for everybody who's listening to this very special, very experimental episode. Definitely not a time warp gone wrong. (laughs) Until next time, everyone, thanks for listening, and always be running. Bye. 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 Okay, bye. Cyber farewell. So, Dan, you need to give me the code to disarm the flamethrower that is pointed at my collection of Martin <laughs> promos. That's what you said you would do. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure if you demonstrated enough enthusiasm. I feel I, like... Uh, I, <laughs> I think I put in a lot of enthusiasm, Dan. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Go, go eat a vegetable. Then, then we'll see about some codes. That was not part of the deal!